Welcome to Good Christophian Talks. I'm Levi. And I'm Chris. And I'm Brian. Thank you for joining us this week. On this podcast, we select one talk a week to help us get the Bible in our daily newsfeed. We post a new episode at the start of each week with a short intro beforehand to kind of set the stage for the talk you're about to listen to. And now, let's talk more about this week's talk. Welcome to the Good Chris Hadelfian Talks podcast. This is Brother Brian. This week's talk is a class by Brother John Evans that was given in 2016 at the Teacher Gully Ecclesia. The class is called A Soft Answer Turns Away Wrath. And this is part one of a two class series all about anger. Uh, this was not a recommendation. This was actually a series that I was looking at myself um, because I feel like I struggle with having an anger problem. And I found it to be not only helpful to to myself, but good enough that I felt uh, the community worldwide would benefit from hearing these classes. Uh, Brother John looks at how this tumultuous emotion has been used in a biblical sense, both by God and man. And what are the clear lessons that we can take away? And I found that the more and more instances he kept going into, I was like, oh man, I forgot. Like, yeah, that's a great story that deals with anger. And that's a great story that deals with anger. One of the points that I appreciate was he, he makes clear anger is not a sin. And anger in and of itself is not necessarily a problem but the challenge for us is preventing it from quickly becoming wrath or something worse. Um, he reminds us that Paul cautioned in Ephesians 4, be angry and sin not. So that's, that's our struggle to allow ourselves to be angry about things, but have the mind of the spirit and not just react with the mind of the flesh. And one of my favorite takeaway lines that I thank Brother John for is he says, anger is only one letter away from danger. And it's such a good reminder that like, uh, you know, if we ignore the warning signs, if we ignore uh, the cues that our body's giving us, we very quickly can move from being angry into being in a dangerous situation with our words, with our actions. Um, so I found that between the two classes, there's just lots of great practical gems uh, regarding dealing with anger within our families, anger with our young children, frustration within our ecclesias. And I really think it would benefit everyone to hear how this can be approached from a biblical sense. So as always, we hope this strengthens your faith and brightens your day. Brother John Evans, a soft answer turns away wrath. Thanks, Brother Jeremy. Good evening, my brethren and sisters and young people. It's wonderful to have an opportunity, isn't it, during the middle of a busy week to stop and to consider the Word of God. It's what we do every Wednesday night, and we have an opportunity to open the Word and to let the Word speak to us. 
And the challenge, of course, of any Bible study is to see how do we make that apply to ourselves. It can be very interesting, it can be very academically challenging, but of course if it's not going to affect us in our daily life, then it's just those two things, academic or interesting. The Word of God, of course, has the power to change the inner man, as we know. And our aim is to look at, tonight, an interesting subject, that of a soft answer turns away wrath. That's our overall title. What we're really going to look at tonight is the challenge that we face a lot of in this world today around about us and the challenge for ourselves of being angry about things. We live in an evil world, I don't need to tell you that. We look at the news, we see what's happening in the world around about us, we see the challenges in the ecclesial environment that we dwell in. We seem to be facing an avalanche of decline in the world outside, people challenging everything that's been ever conceived to be holy or righteous as God except forth in his word, the Bible. Society calls evil good and good evil. And we know that means we're in the time of the end. And, of course, we've seen Russia just recently move itself into the, into the Middle East theatre, which is very exciting for us as we witness the current events. We see men around us who are covetous and evil, men who are godless, and all they're interested in is themselves. And, of course, we recognise that as a disciple and follower of Christ, that's not the way we should conduct ourselves in our daily life. And I believe, brethren and sisters, we're not participating in the covetous, evil things that are happening in the world around about us. We tend to stand aside from that and say, no, that's not something we should be involved in. But we live in a very angry world. You know, a common term you'll hear is that people have short fuses. What's that mean? It means it doesn't take much and they explode. People in the workplace, people in the school place... People just seem to have a lot of anger. You know, there's a term today, which wasn't around probably 40 years ago, called road rage. 40 years ago, there probably weren't enough cars going up and down the road out there for anyone to get cross with each other. But now there's a term known as road rage. What is it? It's really just anger and people unable to contain their anger who then beat their horns, jump out of cars or do worse things than that to each other. It's a world we live in where anger is seen before us all the time. We see it in our political leaders. They slog it out in Parliament. We see it in the things that we witness around about us. And I think all of us would say, as brethren and sisters of our Lord, that that's not the way we ought to behave. Yet of all the issues that challenge us, perhaps, as brethren and sisters, and sometimes we graduate things, don't we? say, well, this is a really bad thing. We don't want to be involved in this, murders or robberies or theft. How do we graduate our relationship with each other and our ability to get very angry with each other. Perhaps we can think, well, that's not so bad. Well, what we'd like to do tonight is to look at the perspective of our Heavenly Father and say, is that bad or not? Because I think that's one of the great challenges for all of us in these last days, how we interact with each other and how we let that affect us. So what we want to look at tonight is is probably four points. We want to look at what anger is. We want to say, where does it come from? What is this spirit of being angry that man exhibits? How does God view anger? And then we look at some scriptural examples of bad anger and surprisingly good anger. You might find that surprising, but bear with us because you're going to see some examples where anger is used very positively in the scripture. So if we went to look up about anger, what would we do? We'd grab a dictionary off the shelf, we'd look up the word anger, and if we picked up an ordinary dictionary, we'd read this. It's a feeling of great annoyance or antagonism as a result of some real or supposed grievance, rage or wrath. That's your standard English dictionary. Let's pull off a Bible dictionary off our shelf, though, and say, what's the word anger got to do with with the scriptures? 
And we read in the Old Testament the translation of several Hebrew words, especially that of Alf, literally means the nostril or the countenance. When we get to the New Testament, the word only occurs four times in the New Testament. That's the word anger. But its place is taken by the word wrath, which we see on multiple occasions in the New Testament. So we've got the, the opportunity to open God's word and see him talking about anger and to see how it affects our brethren and sisters, those who've gone before us and the way that they're affected by this emotion of anger. Well, our first question was, where does human anger come from? What we're going to do tonight, because we're going to look at a lot of scripture and pick out bits and pieces as we go, what I'd like to do is to say, it'd be nice if we could get this thing to work. From the bottom. bottom. How about, James, you come and make this work? Because we've got to get through a fair bit of... Here we go. Here we go. Don't ever panic. And whatever you do, don't get angry. Okay. I'm not getting angry. Okay. James? Thank you. I'll just get James to have a look at that for us. Let's turn up in our Bible. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. What we're going to do is use PowerPoint to get through a lot of quotes tonight. But Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. And we know this quote very well. Thank you very much, James. Lucky no one got angry. Good. Matthew 15, verse 19. What do we read? For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, blasphemies. Where's that all come from? Well, of course we know. The Lord tells us it comes from with a man, within a man. It comes out of his heart. What else do we know from Scripture? Well, we know that the heart of man is deceitful. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. You may want to take notes. If you want a copy afterwards, please come and see me. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, we know these quotes. We put them up at a lecture when we're talking to interested friends about the fact that, yep, man is not inanely good, but rather he actually deviates or falls over towards sin. Those quotes prove that for us. So anger comes from within us. It's an emotion. How do we let it affect us? And what do we know about God and anger? Well, we know God's holy. We know that he can't look upon sin. But we also know, when we come back to Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6, we find a lot out about his character, don't we? And we look at this with our young people. We talk about the character of Yahweh. And we find it described for us. Because he says to Moses, this is my character. And he said, he's gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. However, he keeps mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, but will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. What have we got? Well, as we say to people, it's a balance, isn't it? He's got justice and mercy, and it's perfectly balanced in our Heavenly Father. Is it perfectly balanced in us, brothers and sisters? Well, of course not. We know that. God's consistent. He's consistent, he's reliable, he's predictable. You know how he's going to react to any situation because he set himself forward in the word and said, this is how I operate. This is what I think. This is what I do. He is consistent. But what else do we know about him? Well, let's turn over to the New Testament. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. And we read together, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Remember what we said? We've got justice and we've got mercy. The principles that he stands for, and he won't change, 
but his ability to show mercy to those who wish to repent. They're the two characteristics of our loving Heavenly Father. It's a central part of his being, those two welded together. Do you know what we don't read? We never read anywhere in Scripture that God is anger. We read that God is love. We don't read God is anger. Why is that? That's an emotion that he exhibits, but at the core of his very, very being, God is love. And he's prepared to exhibit that to those who want to worship and come before him. So if you've got your, your strongs out and you looked up the word anger or its derivatives and you said, okay, how many times does this word occur in the Bible? Well, in the Old Testament, as we saw, it occurs many times. It actually occurs 455 times. So 455 times the word anger occurs in the Old Testament. Do you know what I found amazing? Out of those 455 times, 375 of those times relate to Yahweh. He's angry. He's wrath. He's annoyed. Look at that. Psalm 7, verse 11. He says, God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. He's angry with the wicked. He's angry with the nations. He's angry with Israel when they turn their back on him. So you see, anger is a divine emotion. It dwells within God. He tells us that he's angry about things. What's he angry about? He's angry about challenges to his holiness and his righteousness. And he's not going to tolerate it. And because he is holy and righteous, but because he is merciful, he welds those two characteristics together, doesn't he? His holiness stands against sin, and he won't tolerate that. But his mercy seeks those who wish to come before him and to serve him. He seeks to be able to provide a way for that to happen. So all of God's laws, as we know, are based upon his holiness and his mercy. And I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. But how does that affect us when we come to look at the situation of God's ability to deal with anger? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 15 and 16, we see Moses recounting what Yahweh said. He said, look, I've set before you this day life and good and death and evil. You've got a challenge. Life and death, good and evil. And it's that constant challenge, isn't it? Are we going to serve God? Or are we going to serve ourselves? And the message is, go forward, serve God. Because if you do, he'll be merciful. He'll be gracious. He is consistent. He is predictable. He is reliable. He doesn't change. And so therefore, if you follow this pattern, which is serving him, he will recognise that and be merciful unto you. And if you choose not to, well, his anger is shown to those who choose not to follow his principles. And he's very righteous in his anger. So God's justice and his righteousness stimulates his anger. He looks at a situation and says, that's wrong. That challenges my holiness and I won't tolerate that. Now, what about when we come to the New Testament? Well, of course, we've got the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And how did he witness that? Well, he did that in his life, didn't he? And so a couple of quotes we'll look at in a minute. Mark 3, John 2, examples of our Lord showing anger or wrath. We know he never sinned. So we know Christ never sinned, and yet he shows anger or wrath. And we can struggle with that, brethren and sisters and young people. We can think to ourselves, how do we put that together? Because so often when we get angry, it very quickly switches from anger to us actually speaking inadvisedly with our lips or acting inadvisedly. How did the Lord do it? Well, I guess the challenge is to think, first of all, what, what makes us get angry? What drives us to become angry? Well, Nabal, sorry, Nathan came to David, didn't he? After the tragic incident of Bathsheba, and Nathan came with a parable. 2 Samuel chapter 12, and 
you know the story very well. And he came and he spoke about the fact that a rich man had a huge flocks and there was one poor man who had a little ewe lamb and he cared for that lamb and he loved it and that lamb loved him. And along came a rich man and he sent someone to get hold of that lamb, bring it back and let's barbecue that for my visitor. And what's David say? Hey, look at that, verse 4, verse, the bottom one there. David, and David's anger was greatly kindled against the man and he said to Nathan, as Yahweh liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. What happened in David? Do you know the sheer injustice, the sheer wickedness of what had happened in this story that was being portrayed to him fired up within David a feeling of justice and right. And he said, that man's got to die. I'm not going to tolerate that in my kingdom. I will stand for justice and right. And his anger was kindled within him. So that sheer injustice aroused within David the action to do something. Now, as we know... First of all, he was overreacting to the situation. Secondly, tragically, he's about to find out, actually, it's a parable and it's all about you, David. However, David was a man after God's own heart. And when he saw that sheer injustice, he said, no, I'll act about that. The evil of the situation made him act. And it created within him anger and it made something happen. Do you know what we're going to find, brothers and sisters, throughout Scripture? That God works with people who show real anger. We'll come back to our reading that Matt read for us tonight, Jonah 4. Unusual reading, perhaps, until you look at the subject, isn't it? God works with people who show some amazing attributes as far as anger. Okay, a question for all of us. Try and remember the last time that you experienced anger and ask yourself the question, why did I get angry? If you can sit there honestly and say, I can't remember... Myself, personally, don't, don't look around and say, oh, yes, I remember that brother got angry or my husband got angry or my wife got angry or my kids got angry. No, no, you. When was the last time you got angry about an incident? If you can't remember, check your pulse. No, not really. If you can't remember, um, try a bit harder. Or you're, you're in a marvellous category. But it's likely your answer, or somewhere in your answer, you'll mention some injustice, something that was inequitable. Something that really annoyed you because that just isn't fair. That shouldn't happen to somebody or something. Those incidents just, they challenge what is right and wrong. And you might have directed your anger against a person or against an object or even, brethren and sisters, against God. Now, please note, we're not discussing whether your perception of wrong is valid or invalid. It's not what I'm asking you. We'll talk about that later on. What I'm just saying, think about the last time you got angry. And was it because someone made you angry? Was it something that happened? Let's have a look in scripture for some examples of people who went down that that path. First of all, a person. A person who got very, very angry with tragic consequences. Genesis 4. Cain and Abel. Two brethren. Two brethren who decided that one was going to follow the ways of Yahweh and the other one was going to do what he wanted to do. What happens? But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. What did Cain think had happened? Well, he actually felt slighted by Abel, didn't he? He thought that Abel had gone out of his way to to make an example of Cain. And Cain dwelt upon that. And we don't know what the time frame was, whether it was days, hours, weeks, months, but he dwelt upon that. And what was the outcome? The outcome was he actually killed his brother. If you want to know where anger left unchecked can end up, you're reading it in Genesis chapter 4. You let that run and you'll kill your brother. 
And maybe you won't kill your brother physically by whacking him over the head with a big stick. But your brother might leave the truth because of the things you do or say to him because you're angry with him. So we're challenged, aren't we? There's someone who's angry about a person. What about an object? Oh, come on, John, you say. No one gets angry at an object. Why would you get angry at an object? Remember Balaam? And he rode his little donkey to get that house full of gold and silver. And his whole focus was on that. And his silly little donkey wouldn't go where he wanted. So what happened? Well, he wouldn't go into the angel. You know the story. We've heard it from Sunday school lessons. But what really happens? What really happens is Balaam jumps off the ass and his anger was kindled and he gets his staff and he whacks this poor donkey, the ass. And he lays into the donkey. That's an object. And we go, ah, the foolishness of the prophet. Brethren, ever had your lawnmower not start on a Saturday morning? And thought, boy, this really annoys me. Or maybe, maybe something like a computer. It's an inanimate object with bits of wire and a bit of glass and I don't know what's in there, no idea. But sometimes it doesn't do what you want, does it? Have you ever got angry at your computer? And we laugh, don't we? think, oh, people wouldn't get angry at a donkey, how silly is that? But ever whacked your computer hoping to make it work or shout it? Shout it at your computer or your lawnmower or your sewing machine, or whatever it is. You're angry at an object. It's pointless. Except the ass spoke back to Balaam, didn't he? Because God was in control. Perhaps we're starting to see that, hmm, maybe some of our brethren and those in the scriptures do have the same challenges that we have. What about angry at God? Turn to the reading that Matt did for us in Jonah chapter 4. An unusual reading. Probably for a class. It's often challenged us just to... We get to the end of Jonah and this is what we find. Here's an example of a brother who was obviously God-fearing and godly. He went out to do the work of God. He was a prophet. He went and did what he was told to do. What happens? He, he saves Nineveh. And what's the result? He is extremely angry about that. Who's he angry with? He's angry with God. Do you know, Jonah 4 should be a celebration chapter. At least 120,000 people got saved. What do we know? God's not willing that any should perish. He saved at least 120,000 people. And what's Jonah say? You're wrong and I'm mad at you. I'm so angry about the way you've dealt with this situation. Look at it. If you call it in the words very angry, verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was very angry. God says to him, what are you angry about? He says, well, didn't I? This was my saying. I told you in my country, therefore I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that thou art gracious and merciful and slow to anger. Oh, We've already seen that, haven't we? God is absolutely predictable and reliable. He doesn't change. And Jonah says, I know you don't change. And because of that, these people have been saved. God says, you're angry. Yeah. And then he ends up with a gird, doesn't he? And he sits under a gird. And the gird dies. And what happens to Jonah? He's angry again. God says to him, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah said, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well to be angry. I'm very angry about what's happened in my life. But let's stop for a minute and think about why did Nineveh repent? Oh, because it was in the plan and purpose of Yahweh? Yes, that's true. What happened? What drove them to repent? A man going through the city with a message 40 days and Nineveh destroyed? Oh, that was a catalyst to it. Let's have a look at what actually it says in chapter 3 and verse... Verse 9, this is the king talking and the leaders saying, and who can tell if God will turn and repent from his, away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Here's a Gentile nation of non-believers who go, hang on a minute, 
This is Israel's God. He has a fierce anger. If we choose not to obey him, we know what that fierce anger will do. It will destroy us. 40 days and we're gone. And they listened to that. And what happened? Verse 10, and God saw their works and they, uh, that they turned from their evil ways and God repented the evil that he had said he would do unto them and he did it not. God repented. Now, did Jonah have a right to be angry? Well, he certainly thought he did. He's prepared to challenge the Almighty and, as it were, go head to head with his messenger and say, yep, absolutely, I've got a right to be angry. He was very, very clear because he expresses to God how angry he actually is. And what was his problem? He saw that God had conducted a great injustice upon him. You didn't listen to me. I told you this would happen. Upon his nation, they're going to come down and destroy Israel, all of which were true in time. And we'd sit here in this hall tonight and go, well, Jonah was wrong. Oh, it was clearly that was wrong. He didn't understand God. Brethren and sisters, and when we sit down and think about ourselves, have we ever got that angry? Do we sometimes use language like Jonah? Oh, perhaps we're not brave enough to actually speak it out loud. But have you ever thought that? And perhaps towards God. Situation that's happened in your life and you think, that's just not fair. I've done this and this and this. God, where are you? What's this happened? Why is this going on? Perhaps we haven't said it. Perhaps we weren't as brave as Jonah, but I'm sure probably at some stage all of us have thought thoughts like that. And yet it was Yahweh's anger that led to them to repent, as we saw. He gave them the warning, if you don't repent, I'll destroy you. Their fierce anger was the thing that they were terrified of, and they dealt with it. God's anger brought about a response that he desired. You know, he wanted to see that happen, and it happened. What if our anger, brethren and sisters, could be used to the same effect? What if we could actually make a positive use of our anger? Because as we said when we started, anger is an emotion. The challenge for every one of us is what Paul wrote to the Ephesians, where he said, be angry and sin not. And the challenge for us, and we'd like to spend some time tonight looking at that, is, okay, we can be angry about an injustice. How do we not sin? How do we actually work our way through that, that challenge? I said we'd look at the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's some examples. Look, he went into the, into the temple, you know this, and he drove out those who were selling oxen and sheep. Why? Because you've turned my father's house into a house of merchandise. And he drove them out. Take these things hence, he says. And look at the end of that. His disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. The disciples saw the anger of their master and attributed that for a deep concern for his father's house. They knew him. They'd spent time with him. They didn't just go, oh, he's had a bad day, he's got out of bed on the wrong side. And I don't mean that flippantly. Sometimes we do with each other, we go, oh, he's having a bad day. No, they said, this is the zeal of his father's house. He's making a stand on behalf of his father because he knows what this house stands for and he knows that turning into a marketplace is wrong. There was another occasion. He's in a synagogue. You know it well, there's a man with a withered hand. And the Pharisees set him up right at the very front. And they challenged Christ as to whether you're going to heal this man or not. What's he say, Mark chapter 3, verse 4 and 5? He says, Under them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he looked around upon them, with anger being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch forth his hand. And we know he healed him. But look what happened. He was angry. Why was he angry? 
Because those evil men were prepared to take a poor individual like this man, subject him to ridicule and, and, and mocking, put him right in front of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because they wanted to try and catch a man. And he said, you're evil. That's wicked what you're doing. And he was angry because the injustice of that whole event struck our Lord. There was a desperate need for that man to be healed. And there were those in that room who'd say, well, see if you will or not because it's a Sabbath day. Brought about an angry response in our Lord. And it brought about a scriptural response. And it brought about a healing of a man. You know, anger, you could describe anger as a big red flashing light on the dashboard of life. What is it? It's a light that flashes. It's saying something is unjust, something is wrong. And it goes off from time to time in our life. And we look around things, ecclesially, in our place of employment. And we go, that's not fair. That's unjust. That challenges Yahweh's holiness. It's just the big light. It's flashing to us. Challenge for us, brothers and sisters, is what do we do? Because anger can be a very powerful motivator to move us towards doing something positive and right, to do something which will uphold Yahweh's holiness, to correct an injustice, like David and the rich man, for example. David just didn't go, oh, well, send the poor man another lamb. No, the injustice of what had just happened struck him, and he said, I want to deal with that. But I tell you what, brethren and sisters, we need to be particularly careful because of this. Anger's only one letter short of danger. You've seen those signs. They put them over deep holes. They put them on building sites. Danger, do not enter. Danger, danger, danger. Do you know what? When we start to let that big red light of anger flash in our, on our dashboard, as it were, of life, we've got to be very careful because we're actually one step away from danger. We actually can very easily sin and our reaction can be anything but godly. We can forget about what God would do. We can forget about what our Lord Jesus Christ has done and we can end up making things a whole lot worse because we've allowed anger to drive us forward. So the challenge tonight is how do we process anger in a spiritual way and actually make it positive? We've looked at Cain and Abel. That was a disaster. We've looked at Jonah and God. Not, not a good place to be. We've looked at David, David and Nathan and we saw how that interacted, the rich man, and what happened in David's life. You know, all those three people, Cain, Jonah and David, all felt angry towards the same object. You know what it was? Someone else. They're not angry with themselves. They're not beating themselves up. They're angry with someone else. You know, the challenge for this is this. As we look at this subject, it's really easy to break it back to being purely theoretical analytical, pull it apart. The challenge for all of us is how do we relate in our relationships, our interpersonal relationships, our husbands, our wives, our children, our parents, our ecclesia, our brethren and our sisters. And of course it doesn't just stay there, it goes out into our workplace or our place of study. How do we react in the ongoing relationships we have? What do we need to do first when we get angry? That big red light goes off in our head and we get angry. What's the first thing we need to do? Do you know what you need to do? You need to consciously acknowledge to yourself that you're angry. And you go, oh, seriously, John? Like, one look at me. If I looked in the mirror, everyone can see I'm angry. My ears have gone red. I'm angry. No, no. You need to stop and actually acknowledge for yourself and say, I'm angry. Because you need to ask yourself the question, what's happening to me? You know, anger can hit us that fast, like that. Someone tells you something and like that, you're angry. 
You've built up a head of steam, as it were, and you've got a real anger. And, of course, because we think fast and act fast, we tend to speak fast. So you open your mouth and out comes exactly what you're thinking about that nanosecond. We're all we're busy framing the response we're going to give to the brother or the workmate or whoever it is. We haven't stopped. We haven't listened. We haven't thought through the fact we're angry. You know what? We're far more likely to make a very positive response to anger if we recognise what's happening inside our head. Wow, I've just got angry. Okay, now I've got some choices to make. Paul said, be angry and sin not. That's the challenge and that's our goal. We want to try and work to that. So as we said before, anger isn't sin. It can't be. The Lord Jesus Christ showed anger, yet he never sinned. Anger is not sin. When you become angry, you've got to say, okay, stop for a minute. What's happening to me? I'm becoming angry. The challenge was never, don't get angry. The challenge Paul gave to the Ephesians is, don't sin. Why? Because the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, as James tells us in chapter 1 and verse 9. We've got to be pretty careful over this. So how do I respond to my anger so that my actions will be constructive and in a spiritual vein? Well, step number one, we need to acknowledge we're angry. If you don't ever give yourself the time to think, actually, I'm angry about this, you've just launched straight into stage two, which may be constructive. Usually it's destructive because you've allowed yourself to think, right, I need to sort this problem out, I need to sort it out right now. So it's about restraining our immediate response. And from there, there's two usual patterns which we can follow once we're angry. And everyone tends to follow them. And neither of them are very useful to a disciple or follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But look in the world around you. Look how people respond to being angry. They respond with either, number one, verbal or physical venting. You're a complete idiot or worse, and they know some very horrible language. Or, worst case, they thump somebody. So I've responded. I'm angry. Bang, I've fixed it. Thump. You've got thumped. That's not the way any disciple in Christ wishes to conduct themselves. We'd acknowledge that. What's the second option you've got? Well, I'll withdraw. I'll say nothing. I'll just suck it all in and just bear it and be silent. And that's not very helpful either. We'll see why in a minute. You know, we need to be able to restrain our human nature. We don't need to fire off an answer. We need to just stop and think for a minute. That's not the same as storing anger. It's refusing to take the action which would come naturally to us, which is give the person a piece of our mind. And often, when we're really angry, it's not the time to give a piece of your mind away. You're going to need all the mind you've got. Don't start throwing that around the place. Just stop and think. What happens? Well, you know, what are we trying to do? We're trying to stop that natural reaction. Oh, John, never, never experienced it. Give us an example. Sure, I'll share an example with you. 30 years ago, don't even bother trying to work out who it is. It's really quite funny. We do the marriage seminars and um, sister came up afterwards and said, I really enjoyed that. I tried very hard to work out who all the people were you're talking about. Oh, serious, that's not the point of the example. I'm driving down Rundle Street and I see a brother jumping into his car, so I give him a beep. Maybe I shouldn't have beeped him. And out of the window comes this. As he turns his head, it quickly became this. And he saw who he was shaking his fist at. You see, the natural reaction was to shake his fist. Maybe I shouldn't have been. I was just saying hi. Maybe he always says hi to people by shaking his fist at them, which automatically became the hand. The natural response was, ah. Right? 
It's about being able to manage our natural responses because the natural man is worth nothing to us in our spiritual sense, is it? It's about being able to think through and to say, what are we going to do? Let's go back to scripture. Proverbs. Solomon says, chapter 29 and verse 11, the fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. Someone tells you something, someone upsets you and the fool just goes, and out it all comes. Solomon says, that's not a wise man. A wise man thinks it through. Doesn't mean he's gone to sleep. Doesn't mean he doesn't care. He's just he's thinking that through. Another translation of that says a fool gives vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. It really is self-control. What about this? The discretion of a man defers his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Or another translation, insightful people restrain their anger. Are you insightful? Am I? Can you see where this is going to lead? If I head down this path, this will be what may happen. Historically, when I react like this, this is what happened. People end up in tears. Things go wrong. We'll be a bit smarter than that. The writer of Proverbs is saying, you know, just settle. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. Yes, you hear things in life that make you very ill, make you very unhappy. But you need to be able to take that on board and think that through. Because... You know what? Our Heavenly Father's watching and seeing things that make him extremely angry and unhappy. And he'll deal with it. So what are we being told to do? Think before we open our mouth. You know, there's a, a monumental speech that was given by an individual in Scripture. Monumental. I think you probably could, could think it through. It lasts for about one verse. Jonathan speaks to his father Saul and says, you have got David completely wrong. And Saul, who was not known for holding back, launched with this dissertation upon Jonathan, upon Jonathan's mother, his wife. And Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. He said to him, thou son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion, under the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? What a magnificent speech to deliver. Not. Why? Because it... There's not a spiritual bone in the man's body, but he just launched with an attack. Someone once wrote, speak when you're angry and you will make the best speech that you'll ever live to regret. And this man's gone down in history, preserved in the word of God as being A, godless, and B, that's one of his great speeches. Because he got angry. And he didn't think through the situation. And he was prepared to challenge Jonathan. And we know what happened. Not only destroy his own family, he lost lost the kingdom, he lost the respect of his son. Because when you're starting to dish out language like that, um, you're not in a very good space spiritually. And I think we'd all acknowledge that. Sometimes we do say things in a flash of anger and later we regret it. Unfortunately, you can't erase it. Saul's writings, they're therefore... For anyone to read 4,000 years later, you can't erase that. You might think, yeah, but I only said that to a brother. You know what? That person might forgive you, but that hurt that you've done might last a lifetime. Be careful what we say to each other. Sometimes you hear someone say, I didn't mean to say that. You know what? You'd be more honest to say, actually, I wish I hadn't said it. You meant to say it. Your brain thought it. Your mouth engaged. You said it. Really what you say is, I wish I hadn't said that. And in part of processing anger, it's about being able to break that and say, yep, I'm not going down that path. Why? Because we know the tongue's that little member which causes so much trouble for all of us. 
So, oh, if someone says to you, well, that's fine for him, but I can't control my anger. It's just the way I am. It's my upbringing. It's my just genetic predisposition. This is how I am. There's nothing I can do about it, and I just lose it, and that's how it is. You should say sorry. You should say sorry to them, because they put themselves in magnificent company with people like Saul, who didn't have a godly bone in their body. You see, we can change. The word of God can change us. It's not an excuse to say, that's how I am. Genetically, that's how I am. Oh, Jonathan, Saul's son. Do you find Jonathan firing off rockets like that? Not recorded for us. Suggest to you that he didn't speak like that. You see, we can make changes if we want to. Once you begin an explosion, it's very hard to pull it back in again. Once that lava of the volcano is going, you can't really just put it all back together. It's pretty hard to get back together. So what do you need to do? You need to think about it. You know, I don't know about you, my mother said to me once, look, just if you're angry, count to ten. That didn't work, so I had to learn to count to a hundred, then a thousand. And I think my sister said you better learn to count to ten thousand. No, but seriously. You know what, we've all got our different trigger points, but we would say, hey, if it takes counting to ten, I'll just calmly think this through, or if it's a hundred, do it, rather than have an explosion, because a long delay may quell that volcano that's going to explode within you. And it's much better not to have an explosion because once you've done it, it's difficult to put back together. We've seen it. The Proverbs have said, don't sin with our lips. We need to be circumspect in the things that we say. Why does it matter? Well, he that's slow to anger is better than the mighty and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. It doesn't say he who doesn't have anger is better. No, no, it says he that's slow to. Anger actually, if it's used in a godly sense, can help you to clearly see issues. Now, what happens then to someone like David and Jonathan? Sorry, Saul and Jonathan. You say, oh, that was learnt behaviour. Well, no, it didn't follow through. Jonathan didn't follow that in his life. Someone says, well, it's a challenge, though. That's how I always react. I'm the marrying brother from Enfield. Most of you know that. There was a group of marrying brethren and their wives who got together a couple of years ago now, and there was a, a couple of nights put on at the Hyde Park Hall for just the marrying brethren and their wives. And the subject um, the subject didn't really matter. There was an outside speaker who came and spoke. His name's Martin Gerrity. If you ever get a chance to hear him, he's very good. But he spoke about the fact that communication and listening and hearing and those sort of things. We built a rapport with this gentleman, and he wasn't a Christadelphian, but over a period of nights we got to know him. And one night I said, and his background was he dealt with extremely troubled youth who did very violent things, and he was trained as a as a specialist in that and worked for that for 25 years, which you'd probably do your head in. But he said this. Uh, he said, you know, anyone got any questions? I said, yeah, we've got, a, got an issue. There's a, there's a brother I know, and he, he gets very angry. He gets very angry with his family, and he'll storm out of the house, and he'll do this, and he said, stop. Stop, John, I'm going to ask you two questions. I want straight, honest answers. I said, go ahead, Martin. He said, when he's pushing his trolley through a Woolworth shopping centre, he's going down the aisle, and someone cuts his trolley off, does he just ram his trolley into the baked bean display and bring the whole thing to the ground and then run over to the jam aisle and the coffee aisle, extend both arms and run down the whole passage pulling all the glass jars onto the ground? No, no, Martin, I don't think he's ever done that. Right. Second question, in your community, your, your church, yep. if he doesn't, something goes wrong, does he rip up his Bible, throw the hymn book at someone and lay on the ground swearing? I said, no, no, best of my knowledge, he's never done that either. He said, right then he's got a behavioural problem, not a mental problem. He said, please understand the difference. A mental problem is, and we meet them, poor people who have a mental issue in their brain. They can't digest what's right and wrong in the situation. 
It's a very small percentage. He's got a behavioural problem. Because in the Woolworth Shopping Centre, he doesn't destroy things when it doesn't go his way. In your community, he doesn't do it. But at home, he doesn't get his own way. He just chucks a full-on wobbly. That's behavioural. You need to call it for what it is. You can change that. And it struck me. I thought, yeah, that's why we spend time around the Word of God. Because we can change it. And yes, sadly, there might be someone who's afflicted with a mental illness. Most of us aren't. We're afflicted with human nature and sometimes we like to hide behind that. So we need to look at why we're really angry. Um, What's that mean, sorry, in our personal relationships? I don't know about you. I can't remember the last shouting match in Enfield Hall or the last punch-up in the car park, and neither should there ever be one. You might have them here regularly, but I doubt it. You see, because good nature and good manners dictate the way we speak to each other when we're in a community like this is proper and correct. The challenge for us all is how do we interact at home when our front door's closed? How do we interact with our children? How do we interact with our wife or our husband? Or our parents, if you're a young person? That's where you're really going to say, yes, I am living these principles, or no, I'm not. Because good manners dictate you're not really going to have a fit here at the hall. And that's the challenge for us to think through, isn't it? Okay, so we've said we've got to try and temper our automatic response. We also need to think through an issue as to why we're angry. Is the real issue what's in front of us as to why we're angry or not? Uh, Example, um, I'm mowing the lawn on Saturday morning, if this were true, and just to defend my two sons. Let's just use this for an example. I'm mowing the lawn on on a Saturday morning. It's 11 o'clock in the morning and I am really angry I'm mowing the lawn. Actually, I'm not angry I'm mowing the lawn. I'm angry because my two boys are sound asleep in bed 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning and my dad would never let me do that and I've failed as a father because I can't get him out of bed. You see what's happened? I'm actually upset about my boys. It's nothing to do with mowing the lawn. But if you ask me, why are you upset? I'm upset because I'm mowing the lawn. No, you're not. Sometimes we need to step back and say, what are we really upset about? What's really got us angry? What's driving our feelings on this particular case? And also we need to be able to scale it, you know? Uh, We're on a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 is, yeah, who cares, and 10 is World War III. If it's up the 10 end, you need to sit back and think it through. If it's a number 1, perhaps the whole world doesn't care what you think about everything. Okay, so we've now stopped to think about things. What do we do then? Well, we can launch, but Solomon's already told us that's foolish. A wise man keeps his counsel. He thinks through the issues. He says, yeah, I'm not just going to deliver my whole thinking on this yet. I'll think through what's happening. You know, there's two options for a disciple of Christ. We've only got two, really. As I see it, I'm happy to have a discussion afterwards. The world's got more. Actually, go back to the Old Testament. You know that quote in Ephesians 4? Be ye angry and sin not. I don't know if you know where that comes from. It's picked up out of Psalm 4. And it's actually working from the, the incident of, of David fleeing from Absalom, 2 Samuel 16. He's going down the escarpment of the hill. If you remember, Shimei comes out and curses him in the most filthy way. And it's Abishai who says, just let me go over and I'll fix this problem. One hit, he's gone, that's it. Remember he says, no, no, God might have sent him. I'm not, you sons of Zeruiah are too hard for me. I'm not going to deal with that. David was probably very angry about it, but he didn't sin. He didn't go and take, have someone go and take that man's head off. So we've got two options. We don't have the option to take someone's head off because that's wrong. Our Lord's told us that's not what we're to do. What can we do? Here's what we can do. We can lovingly confront the person and say, I am really unhappy about this. Or we can consciously decide to overlook a matter. Well, let's look at the second one first and see how it affects us. Do you know, if we decide to consciously overlook a matter, what's it mean? It probably applies to something in the workplace. Perhaps it's not to do with our family, our brethren and sisters, this, this example. 
Someone's wronged us. Someone said, you, you, your line manager said, look, fill out this Excel spreadsheet, populate all the cells, make sure it works, it's going upstairs to the big boss. You do that, he then tampers with it, all the cells fall out, he goes upstairs to the big boss, the big boss comes down and gives you a real ticking off because you just don't even know what you're doing. You've done the right thing. You're not, you are being accused of something that you didn't do. What are you going to do? Well, you can choose to say, is there any redemptive value in me confronting the big boss? Probably not. This is a person I work with. Uh, well, I can accept the wrong and I can leave the matter to God. Now, that sounds really easy to see, say sitting here, isn't it? But actually, you can apply that in our life. How do we know we can apply it? Because look what Peter says. You know that very well. Taking the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, this is what our Lord suffered. This is what he went through. And he was a totally just, innocent, righteous man who never was angry to the point of sinning. And out of that, they took him and hung him on a tree. So he says, you know, if you suffer for something which isn't your fault, so be it. Pass that over. Understand that that is you're following your Lord and Master. Look at that last line there. But committed himself to him that judges righteously. What did the Lord do? He said, I know that there's a righteous judge. He's consistent. He's predictable. He's reliable. And he wept over Jerusalem because he knew what was going to happen to that city when they killed him. God will deal with it. And he left that to him. Now, I want to be really clear. This is not the same as burying anger. What's burying anger? I am so mad with that person, but I, I'm not even going to tell them. And if they went up and said, well, you know, everything all right? Is something wrong? Mm, if you don't know, I'm not telling you. No. no, that's burying anger. What happens if you bury anger? Scriptural example? Have a look at this. Absalom, let's make it really clear, a more godless man you're not going to find in David's life. But Absalom, when his half-brother forced his sister, was utterly furious. And what did he do? He went and dealt with it. He said, that's wrong, that's abominable. No, he didn't. He spake neither good nor bad to Ammon. And it came to pass after two full years. He dwelt on that for two years and said nothing. He just, it was almost like a little plant and he just kept tending it. Every time he saw him, he was angry. He wasn't going to let go of it. He wasn't going to deal with it. He internalised that and he said, right, I'll deal with this one day. I'm angry and I'm going to do what's right. There's no question what his brother did was evil. I'm not suggesting that. But he planned this revenge for two years. And then what did he do? He had him killed. Oh, yeah. Have you ever been upset about something for two years? Five years? There's something in your life you go, that brother three years ago, three months ago, three weeks ago, really upset me. I am not going to let him have the satisfaction of knowing I'm upset. But I am upset. I'll keep watering and tending my little upset bush that keeps me just going. Brothers and sisters, that's wrong. We're not to actually dwell on it. You need to be able to move on. And why? Because our Lord Jesus Christ really believed that God would judge righteously. And Paul says to the Romans, rather give place to wrath as it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. You know what? You need to be able to let go of those sort of issues. We're not talking about that here. We're talking about saying, okay, there's no redemptive value in this person in the world. I'll just Suffer it in silence and move on. Perhaps in that situation, overlooking the transgression is the best thing that we can do as an option at that moment. The discretion of a man is to defer his anger and it is glory to pass over a transgression. 
brethren and sisters, far more often and far more useful for us in our ecclesial interactions and our interactions with our brethren and sisters, our families, our husbands, our wives, our children, is to lovingly confront the person. Note what I said, lovingly confront. You're not going to try and settle a score. You're not trying to win a battle. You're going to try and work through an issue. Who did this very well? Our Lord and Master. Do you remember Peter came to him and said, no, Lord, you're not going to go up to Jerusalem. You're not going to be crucified. And he said to him, he rebuked Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan. You know that situation. What did he do? He rebuked him. Is that the only person that Lord rebuked? No. Two more of his disciples came with another brilliant idea. Let's call down fire from heaven and completely incinerate the Samaritans. He turned and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you are. You see, he didn't just say, no, that's okay. He rebuked them. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. If he repent, forgive him. What's happening here? You look up the word rebuke. It means to censure or to admonish. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to verbally abuse. So Sometimes we think, right, that particular situation is like this, I'm going to deal with it. And boy, when I'm finished, that brother or sister is certainly going to know what I think about this. No. Rebuking, according to the scriptural translation, is to censure or to admonish. Peter, uh, John, Christ says in Luke 17, you know what? Take heed yourself. If your brother's trespassed, go and talk about it with him or her. Rebuke him. Say, I'm sorry, didn't appreciate that. If he repents, forgive him. Why? You're going to lay a matter before someone who you perceive has wronged you. But always remember, you might have perceived it wrong. You might have misunderstood the words or the the nuances or the situation. You might actually be wrong. What are you going to do by following the Lord's example in Luke 17? You're going to go and say to them, I'm giving you an opportunity to share more information. Perhaps I don't have all the facts. Perhaps I came in halfway through the discussion. Perhaps I'm missing some of this. I'm angry, but I need to talk about it with you. Or you're also giving them an opportunity to explain their motives. They might say, well, look, brother, here's why I said that, because I know that 10 years ago, when a cliche of a person, an individual went down that path, this is where they ended up today. I'm concerned for you. You go, okay, thank you. I appreciate that. Or they might actually turn around and say, do you know what? I haven't slept since I said that to you. I've been very distressed. I'm very sorry. Please forgive me. What's happened? Forgive him. And you've gained your brother. Matthew 18. It's about reconciling parties back together, isn't it? Confrontation is never the purpose. It's about to reconcile that situation. Now it comes to taking some sort of constructive action. You've got a choice. You can let the offence go. Christ says to forgive them. Absalom didn't. Just remember how that ended up. You can actually do something about it. And if we choose to lovingly confront the person who's wronged us, you need to do it without anger. You need to do it as Paul says, Brethren, if a man's overtaken a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. You might raise a conversation. Oh, you say, John, that's impossible. How am I going to bring up? This person's hurt me. Cut me to the quick. How am I going to do it? Well, you're making a matter of prayer. And then perhaps you go with something like this. I'm feeling hurt and angry over something that happened. Maybe I misunderstood you, but I need to resolve this today. Can we talk about it, please? That's got to be a positive way of moving forward, doesn't it? It's a lot better than just dwelling upon it. 
person might explain to you, like I just said, that, sorry, you misunderstood me, or I am sorry, I didn't mean that, and I'm very upset, please forgive me. Both have an anger, the anger that welled up in you. The red light, as it were, on the dashboard has actually got you to do something. If you weren't angry, you probably would sit for a long time and just, oh, well, I'll just bury it. No, that's not good. You need to actually be able to get that on the table and talk it through. It served a good purpose. Now, you might think, well, John, if anger is so marvellous, how come there's so many problems in the world around about us? Why is this emotion allow people to get completely out of control and do utterly ridiculous things in the world and in the ecclesia, let's be blunt? I'll tell you why. Human nature would have us believe, brethren and sisters, this is without the word of God, that all anger is of equal value. If I perceive I've been wronged, then I've been wronged. I perceive it that way, perceive reality, I believe it, it happened to me as I see it, so I'm right, everyone else is wrong. This leads to the conclusion that I have a right. I have a right to be angry. That's not correct. That's not what we've seen in Scripture. We've got two types of anger, if you allow me to split it in half. You've got what we're going to call definitive anger. It's born out of wrongdoing. It's when you witness perpetrators conducting evil acts and you feel very angry about that. You open up your newspaper and and someone in Syria has dropped chlorine bombs on homeless children and killed 500 of them. That's evil. That's wicked. Well, you open up your paper and you see, you know, some African leaders flying around the world in a million dollar, five million, twenty-five million, hundred million dollar jet while his nation starves. That's evil. That's theft. That's wickedness. Or a brother leaves his wife and leaves behind children and leaves the truth and goes out in the world and teams up with some secretary in the office. That's evil. That's wicked. And that's what we call defined anger. It's the only kind of anger that God has. His anger is only ever spurred because his holiness is challenged. And all those examples I've just raised with you, it challenges Yahweh's holiness. The second type of anger is where we feel disappointed. Or we're in a bad mood. Or we've got out of bed on the wrong side in the morning. And we feel hurt because of something we think someone might have done. This is distorted anger. And do you know what? The scary thing is there is absolutely no difference in the feeling. Whether it's distorted and you feel that someone's done that to you or whether you actually open your newspaper and say, this is evil. The feeling of anger internally will not be any different. But the reason is incredibly different. In the first reason, it's that's evil against everything God stands for. The second reason is... This is all about justice for me. Me, me, me. And this is where the world views anger. It's all about me. I'm allowed to be angry because he cut me off. I'm allowed to be angry because they took my car parking space. I'm allowed to be angry because whatever. Why? It's all about me. Has that ever happened in scripture where someone got angry because of them? Oh yeah. Second Kings 5, Naaman. He comes down. And he says to Elisha, you know, I'm here, I'm here, with his whole entourage. And Elisha says, yeah, sends out his little messenger and says, go and dip in the Jordan seven times. Naaman was wroth. This man had problems with anger, probably made him an excellent leader of an army which went around massacring and slaughtering people because he just didn't really control anger very well. Look at the end there. He says, rivers of Damascus better. So he turned and went away in a rage. He was wroth, he's got, yeah, he seriously has anger management issues. It's all about him. 
But why was he so angry? Well, in his mind, Elisha had done him a huge injustice. He had given Elisha a chance to come out and prove that his God was great. The mighty Naaman had turned up and allowed the God of this little nation, Israel, to show how powerful he was. And that hadn't happened. What had happened? Well, the fact of what happened was Elisha had cured an incurable disease. He'd given him the remedy to cure leprosy. That was unheard of. It'd be like if you had cancer and someone came and said, here's the remedy for curing cancer. Like, just, just understand this. This is an incurable disease he's got and Elisha has given him the cure. And he's angry because he perceives that upon him there's been great hurt done. And he rages to all those around about him. And the only thing that actually saved him was the fact that some of the men who probably looked at each other and went, here we go again, calmed him down, talked him through it. And God could work with that. So there's a person who got very angry. How do we recognise when we'd be affected by distorted anger? That's that anger which talks all about me. Well, it's all about my perceived wrongs have led me to be angry. Take Naaman. He perceived that he'd been treated badly. It was all in his head. It wasn't real. He'd just been given the cure for an incurable disease. But in his head he said, oh, I perceive I've been treated poorly. You know what? We need to stop and think and ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, is this anger based on my perception? This is why we're stopping our response. This is why we're getting all upset. We begin to examine our anger. Why are we so cross about this? Is it distorted anger? Saul's a great example of that. He just showed distorted anger. He genuinely believed in his head that David was going to kill him. David had raised an army. David was going to wipe out his whole family. And he was going to take the kingdom. The reality was David had at least two opportunities to kill him and never acted upon it. The reality was that every time Saul went after him, David says to him, I'm not here to kill you. So the reality was he wasn't going to kill him, but the perception in his head was he's going to. So he acted upon his perception and he dealt with what we call distorted anger. How do we handle bad anger? What's bad anger? Well, I guess distorted anger is bad anger. So often we base our decisions upon information that's wrong. You know, something comes past us, we hear something, it's circumstantial, it's generalisation, it's expectation, it's personal preference, whatever it might be, and we go, we've been wronged. We create an anger that's distorted, and if we do well upon it, we've got the potential to turn that into sin. Did that ever happen in scripture? End of Joshua. Remember, two and a half tribes are heading back to the eastern side of the, the, the River Jordan, and when they got there, they built a huge pile of stones. Because they wanted to remember that they were still part of the nation of Israel. What happened? What did the nation of Israel do? They quickly all rushed together and went, Ah, we know what they're doing. They're building an altar. Oh, they went better than that. They teamed up, got their soldiers, got their captains of thousands and went charging down to say, What on earth are you doing? So, look at that. The whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered them together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. This wasn't just a couple of brethren coming to ask what are you doing. They've armed up, tooled up, and they're going off to war. What do the men of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh say? They say, whoa, whoa. If that was what we were doing, building an altar to worship false gods, kill us now. Don't save save us, not this day. Destroy us. That was never our intention. And what happened? They talked about it and they said, Ah, we're happy. We'll now all go back. You go on. And the thing pleased the children of Israel and they blessed God. 
I guess that's never happened in ecclesial life in the last hundred years, has it? Where one ecclesia said to another ecclesia, what on earth are you doing? Well, hang on a minute. Yeah, it can happen, can't it? What if you decided to paint your hall? I think you've just painted it on the outside and done lots of work. What if someone driving past down to a little ecclesia down the road, Enfield, drove past and came into Enfield and went, Tedrick Alley's painted their hall. Bear with me here. They've painted it pink. And we all say, pink? In a situation of the world where these evil effeminate colours are speaking about a, a, a godless perception of where people want to live? Pink. So we all quickly broke open the cabinets, got out our paint rollers, got Brother Jeff Hands, who's a painter, and said, lead the charge. We're coming up to Tea Tree Gully. And we all marched up the road. We got up here and we said, what are you doing? And the brother who's running the painting, and it might have been Neville, says, brethren, of course it's pink. It's the primer. We can only put on a pink primer. You get primer in two colours, it's pink or it's pink. And we put on pink and then we're going to paint it another colour. Silly story, isn't it? would never happen in reality because we'd all talk to each other first, wouldn't we? Let's make sure we do in the future talk to each other. Let's not launch preemptive strikes against someone who's put the pink primer. And the example's silly. On the outside of their hall without actually going and saying, brother, I know you. You're in the same city or you're in the same country or in the same fellowship. Do you mind if I come and have a cup of tea or coffee with you? Or can I ring you? Let's talk this through. Do you know what? The ten tribes never would have stood for false worship. And that's right. God wouldn't either. But the way you go about finding that out is pretty important. And of course Reuben could have said, oh and by the way we're leaving now and when we get down there we're going to build this huge pile of stones and this is what it's for. That would have helped the situation too. We need to make sure that we're not angry before we get our paintbrushes and go charging up the road. And if you see Enfield paints their hall, any other colour but cream. Actually, if you want to help us paint our hall, you can come down. That's fine. You see, the action was correct with the ten tribes, but their information was wrong. What have we seen? He that answers the matter before he hears it, it's folly and shame unto him. And so often we do that. Because we think we know why, how, where, what's going on. Solomon says, don't do that. And the challenge, of course, is our relationships. How do we relate to each other in those? Because the fact is the other person probably never intended to make you angry. Perhaps you've just let that bad anger get control of your life. So what we've covered tonight is some steps that we can actually apply in our life to say, yeah, we'll be angry and sin not. We'll follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and we won't get it right. But I tell you what, if we don't try and follow it, We've got no hope of getting anywhere near where he is. What do we want to do next time we get together? Because, God willing, we've got another class. Here's what we want to cover. We want to look at anger and forgiveness. Important? Absolutely. Any examples in scripture? Plenty that will make us sit up and say, yeah, how do I react to that? We want to look at how anger affects families and children. What's the impact of anger on a, on a family? And how does that transcribe into the way the children act? What about when you're angry with yourself? I'm so angry with myself. Here I am again on a Sunday morning and I've done the same thing. Talk about that. We'll talk about how to speak to an angry person. Plenty of information. Plenty of information. And the last one we want to cover is 
when we're angry with God. I could promise you that sitting here tonight there are people who are angry with God, who feel that God's let me down. I can't understand why this person's got this. I can't understand why that person died. And maybe anger's the wrong word. Maybe it's just struggling to understand God in relation to how I feel about things. We're going to spend quite a bit of time looking at that subject, brethren and sisters, because some monumental brethren struggle with that challenge. Not only Jonah, we're going to see some next week, God willing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. We hope this talk helped you in your walk. If you would like to hear more, please subscribe for new episodes and leave a review in Apple Podcast or whichever service you are using to help more people find the show when they search for it. If you enjoyed this particular talk, please share it with someone who you think might enjoy it as well. For show notes on the talk you just listened to, visit our show page at anchor.fm gct or check the show notes section of your podcast player. Please share your thoughts on the talk from this week on our Facebook or Instagram pages, where we are at Good Christadelphian Talks, on Twitter, where we are at GCT underscore podcast, or leave a comment on our YouTube channel where these talks are posted as well. If you know of a great talk, we want to know about it too. Send a suggestion to our email at goodchristadelphiantalks at gmail.com or message us on any of our social media accounts. Thank you for listening. God bless and talk to you next week.